Welcome friends to the Making Our Way podcast, where we take a deep dive into the projects and creative process of our fellow makers. I'm Christy with Twisted Twine Woodworking, and I'm joined here today with Austin from High Caliber Craftsman and Dean DePlantis. So Austin, I saw you were up with uh, a project with leather this week. What's up with that? Yeah, I decided I wanted to dive back into doing some leather work this week. And both of my boys are at the age where they're starting to wear real men's jeans. So they need some real men's belts. So I got some uh, nice belt blanks, harness leather, and turned it into some, you know, handmade belts for them. Where do you get your materials from for leather? So those were from, one of them was from Weaver. And one of them was from this new uh, website that I tried out. It's called buckleguy.com. Okay. And they carry Wicket and Craig um, tannery, Wicket and Craig's tannery leather. Mm-hmm. Super, super nice. Real bougie. And uh, <laughs> it, uh, <laughs> it, it was actually really nice to work with. Edge beveled great, burnished the edges great. And I was really impressed with the hardware that I got from this first time I've ever ordered from. So it was pretty, pretty cool. Dean, I saw you got a uh, sweet score this week. What happened? Yeah, I've got a, a furniture maker here in Houston on the east side, uh, FMW Fab Lab. Uh, I kind of ran across them a few years ago, and I ended up buying an end table from them. Well, I also ended up buying some pecan slab cutoffs from them. So as when they have big industrial projects, they buy material in bulk, and they would sell the cutoffs. But uh, they sold the cutoffs, and I kind of wasn't in a place to buy wood that I didn't necessarily need at retail prices. So I hadn't been in a while. And one of the owners emailed me and and said, just come by that uh, they had a bunch of surplus stuff they need to get rid of. And I wrote back, look, I'm not in the market for stuff. And uh, she wrote back, no, you don't understand. We need it gone. And so I drove over there on, it must've been Wednesday and they loaded up the entire bed and backseat of my truck with hardwood, Uh, a lot of hickory, maple, uh, some exotic woods. I don't even know what they are yet. I saw a piece of, Paducah in there two inches thick Um, but yeah I mean a a whole slew of wood and I also ended up with a beam that's about 74 inches long 10 inches wide by nine inches that we're going to try to make a side table for the couch out of but um, yeah it was a real big score I was super excited it was like birthday came a few days early there so it was a good week for sure Christy what's up with that corner cabinet you've been working on it feels like I've been working on that since the dawn of time but um, I've overworked it in my brain so much that it has uh, become a lot more complicated than it really should be. So I think I finally got to the point. Uh, everything's glued up. The bulk of it's been sanded down. Really now I need to just do the trimming and start assembling it. Unfortunately, work, you know, being a CPA in the middle of January, February, March, is not necessarily the best time to be able to make big projects. But I need to get done in the next couple of weeks because um, it's been about a year now since my sister-in-law asked for it and it's still here. So that is my goal in the next few weeks. Yeah, I can't speak for the rest of you, but I know I have a long list of family asked for projects that I write down somewhere on a scrap of paper somewhere and eventually they may be gotten to. Uh, I've got an aunt that asked for a shadow box frame probably two years ago. And every time I go to start working on it, something else drags me away and I completely forget about it. I forget the dimensions. I forget exactly what she asked for and it just never gets done. I need to get better about that for sure. 
I've got a short list of just a few more things that family has asked for. And after those, considering um, getting married this year, we'll be selling the house this year, we're going to be buying another house. Um, I have got to focus on that rather than uh, those type of projects. I know buying another house, that's always, you know, I think every married couple or soon to be married couple thinks about living arrangements. And uh, when you are a maker or creative, uh, living also includes workshop, play space, things like that. Uh, what, you know, my wife and I have already kind of decided one bedroom is all we need, but the next shop needs to have at least 10 more feet in every direction uh, if, at minimum. Um, what are some of the things y'all are looking for in this shop space? And then dovetailing in that I know Austin, uh, you're talking about building a wood sh workshop. So maybe you, you can kind of talk about what you're seeing and what you're thinking about when it comes to design like that. Well, my hobbies, of course, mainly woodworking. Um, I currently have 12 by 30-ish size uh, workshop, which I'm, I really enjoy. I really appreciate. Um, I'd like to have some space to do a little metal work, whether it's welding. Um, I'd like to think I might be able to do a little blacksmithing again eventually. Um, Marvin is big into reloading, and, uh, and we both do some leather work. So there we honestly need more space for our hobbies and our making rather than um, the house. So it'll be uh, interesting as we're starting to look at, look at places. I think that your size shop that you have now is great in proportions. Yeah. When you get a square shop, it tends to be not the greatest layout. You kind of want them narrower and longer for setting up machines or for feeding, you know, wood through the machines and stuff like that, which is why I'm actually looking at turning our uh, shipping container. It's 40 feet long and eight feet wide. So I think we can get a pretty good wood shop out of it. And it would let me get all those really dirty machines out of my metal shop. Oh, come I'm, on, I'm always, man. Yeah, you know, I'm always worried that I'm just going to light it up. You know, it's like some hot chips are going to fall, fall, fall right into a pile of sawdust and just, light my shop on fire. So I would like to separate those two if possible, especially bringing the welding out into the blacksmith area, um, which is going to require a new pow a new electrical run out to the shop to be able to handle the 220. That so, was one thing when I did move into this house, the, my shop is attached to my house, which might not necessarily be the best situation. Um, but it had a full panel, electrical panel out there for it. So I was just able to add some more power because when um, we got the big Beulah bandsaw, it needed a 220. Uh, so I was able to accommodate that. And then, and actually whenever I had the electrical added to the shop and I asked the electrician to add 220, he looked at me like I had literally lost my mind. And I didn't know that I was going to be getting that bandsaw, but I thought if I'm going to go ahead and have these other electrical updates, listening to other podcasts, I learned that I need to prepare for stuff that I don't know what's coming. So I asked them to add it and, and they did, but they, he's like, are you serious? And I'm like, yeah, because he knows, you know, single woman shop kind of thing. He's like, he was totally looking at me like I, like I'd lost my mind, but um, it, I was really happy with the upgrades that I did then. And those are things I'm going to be looking for whenever I'm getting another shop. That electrician came in and he's like, what kind of sewing machine is this <laughs> lady running with a 220 volt? 
You know, he's like, it must be some kind of industrial level stuff. <laughs> yes. My father-in-law is a machinist and uh, he has a Bridgeport lay that or a milling machine at his house in the garage. And that was one thing when they were, it's an older house, but he got the slab poured thick enough knowing that at some point in the future, there would be some machine at work that he'd want at home and the slab needed to be able to hold that weight. And so uh, whenever we bought this house, my shop, the one thing that really screwed me for wood shop is how Austin was just talking about the depth. I don't have the depth, but if I could go width wise, I would. The problem is the half of the shop is four inches higher than the other half. I don't know the purpose. I don't know the design reasons, but there's a definite step down when you go to where the wood tools are versus this side. And um, he was convinced that that meant this high side could hold some heavy milling machines. And I'd tell him like, look, man, just, you know, I'm not there yet. I'm not the, uh, the machinist that needs that kind of weighted tools. Speaking of being a machinist, I saw you were dipping your toes into the metal aid this week. Well, yeah. Uh, you know, you've got that, you know, partnership or, or working relationship with online metals and they're giving away a, you know, one of, one of the ice picks you made you know, Christy and I have ice picks, obviously, but I'm kind of selfish. I wouldn't mind having more than one ice pick to rub it in everybody's face. And uh, and there's a few designs I don't have. So, you know, why not? When more is more, why not have more? And so uh, I don't know if they're picking it on merit or if they're just randomly picking, but it looked like a competition worth entering based off of the prize. And so I went to just – so the guidance was you had to follow Austin. You had to follow online medals, tag three people, and then post a uh, – post a picture of your latest fabrication. And I think they use fabrication loosely. You could have really put anything in there. And I went to grab something that I've already made. I could have used like the light from the Because We Make deal, or uh, I made that sink in the toolbox. That would have been a decent one because at least I welded on it. But I'm looking at this microphone and I had this janky adapter to an adapter to a cutoff screw thing that worked, but it wasn't pretty. And I said, you know what? I'm going to machine a, uh, an adapter that has a quarter inch male end and has a three eight or five eighth inch female end uh, on the back side, so I can use this microphone. And uh, yeah, I turned the lathe on, and I will say this: that um, I broke the lathe. You know, I, I overcranked something trying to put a tool in a position that didn't work, and it uh, came off track. And I uh, texted Austin, and he Facetimed me at midnight to you know, talk me through how to get it back on track. And it was so funny. I Googled, but I don't know what I'm looking at to know what words to Google. So in that regard, Austin was better than Google. So I, I got to give him credit for that. Oh, he's going to, he's going to repeat that multiple times now. He's going to have it in loop. Hey, looks like the guest showed up. How's it going? Oh, hey. So we're joined now with Caitlin Landrino from Kate's Casino. Hi, Caitlin. How are you? Hey guys, how are y'all? Thank you for having me. No, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, we know your time is precious with those two kids running around, so we're glad you were able to jump on with us this evening. Um, Caitlin, you know, we brought you on because we're all fans of your cooking blog and your uh, cooking Instagram page. You want to give us just a quick uh, you know, elevator pitch on what Kate's Cocina is? Sure. So um, I'm a mom of two. I've uh, always enjoyed cooking. I wasn't always good at it. Um, I started watching the cooking channel whenever I was in college and I've slowly been learning. And uh, what I've seen from a lot of my friends is that they're intimidated by the kitchen. And so my goal is to bring an approachable way to cooking, not too elevated, 
um, things that you'll make on weeknight, weeknight meals, but also things you can impress your friends with. Um, and it's called Kate's Casina. It's all out of my kitchen at home, very informal, um, different recipes that I make for my family and my friends. Oh, I, I love that. I, I like that kind of mission statement. Um, that's, I think, how several of us approach you know, our hobbies and our maker crafts is uh, approachable, but also can impress. Um, you know, Kate's Cocina, the last name Landrino sounds pretty French. Cocina, uh, is that Spanish? What's, what's the connection there? So um, I don't know why, but I've always been enamored with uh, Latin American culture. Um, and ironically, uh, life came full circle a few years ago whenever my husband and I moved to Mexico. And uh, we were expats in Mexico for three years. And so um, the cocina is a big part of me because a lot of my cooking is inspired from our time living abroad in Mexico and I also lived abroad in Spain. And so, um, the, you know, the Kate is me, the, the down to earth, the, the simple, the in my house, you know, Kate's, but then the cocina is from um, having that, the different cultural background from both Mexico and Spain. You know, and looking at the recipes that you've uh, put together, uh, I can see those coastal communities, those coastal kitchens with an influence. Uh, the two we really dialed in for that we'd like to discuss today is uh, your fresh shrimp ceviche tostada and uh, the spicy tuna on crispy rice. One we've pulled off your blog page, the other one was on your Instagram account. Um, I'm going to turn it over to Christy here. Christy, would you like to, you know, maybe ask Caitlin some questions about this spicy tuna on crispy rice? Yes, and I the pictures are absolutely gorgeous. Your um, your posts are I literally want to eat the picture because they look so good. But honestly, I have never had tuna like this. I, I wish I lived on the coast because I love seafood, I love fish, I love everything along that line. But I'm in the Midwest. We eat beef here, you know. So um, what? What about the, did you come up with this recipe on your own? Is this something in your family? What, what made this one jump out at you? Actually a trip to Las Vegas and I'm not a Vegas girl or a partier, but I went to Las Vegas. And so obviously what stood out to me in Las Vegas were the elevated restaurants. And I went to a restaurant where they served this fresh raw sushi like tuna on rice that was hard and crunchy and the textural difference uh, really made it delightful. And I came home and uh, my husband worked for a boat company and part of their perks was to get to go to their fishing camp. And so they would catch fresh tuna in the Gulf and get to bring it home. And so he brought me tuna in a vacuum sealed pouch and was like, okay, babe, what are we going to do with this? And I said, I'm going to make that Vegas recipe. And I didn't know what it was or how to do it, but I took a guess at it. And it was one of the best things we've ever eaten. And so um, whenever I was looking for new ideas for my blog, he remembered that from a few years ago and said, you have to make that tuna on the crispy rice. So it's, it's interesting you, you mentioned the blog because I think we all found it on Instagram. Um, and I noticed you did multiple posts, you know, one on the final package, you know, one on how you were doing the rice, one how you mix the tuna. And as a, you know, not only a, a cook, but as a content creator, you know, what helps steer you towards, okay, this is going to be a blog post. This is an Instagram post. This is a YouTube video. Um, or do you find one platform is just more comfortable and easier to digest for you? 
As a creative, I think it's my personality type that I'm not as structured as I should be. And if I were very structured, everything would go on Instagram and would be on the blog because people learn different ways. And there are people that want to just watch the video and get the cliff notes. And there are people that want to research it and read the directions step-by-step with the exact measurements. And so I think in a perfect world, you would have both. Um, For this one, I was making it and I was able to document it. And uh, TikTok videos have been a fun thing lately and content that people really love with, you know, edgy music or short and sweet where they can digest what you're putting in front of them, but they don't have to, you know, put 10 minutes into it. And so that was kind of my um, inspiration with the tuna was let's break this into two steps. Yeah. And, you know, you said short and sweet, and that definitely seems to fall into your wheelhouse. When I read the way you post things and the text you put behind your post, it's this real friendly, real familiar type. You know, it's not a high level with, you know, detailed descriptions of ingredients. It's a welcome to the kitchen. Here's what we're making. Here's how we make it. Do you, do you really work at that? Or is that just how it comes out of you? This real friendly, familiar, welcome to my kitchen kind of approach? It is more enjoyable to me to keep it short and sweet and let the person be inspired by it, but not have to rigidly follow um, the step-by-step instructions. One thing that I've, uh, I hear from my daughters, I've got uh, 20 and 25 year old daughters and they go to TikTok for recipes, which I realize I'm a little older and I'm a little slower when it comes to different kinds of social media, but that is, that's a huge part of their day-to-day life. How many different social media platforms are you currently in and what seems to keep the most activity going on? Um, My main one is Instagram. I want to dive into TikTok. I've actually been inspired by TikTok with chaffles. I just bought the tomatoes and feta cheese for the recipe recently that went viral for a a pasta. Um, But it's hard for me to understand how a platform that was uh, designated towards dancing is now for recipes too. But I am very into technology. So currently, I'm just on uh, Facebook, Instagram, blogging. I, I love to build websites. But I'm very inspired by TikTok and would like to get more involved with that and, uh, you know, more on the cutting edge. I noticed that uh, you were, you actually have a YouTube as well. And I love the uh, fact that you're pulling your girls into the kitchen with you. That's really cool. It's brave, number one. And number two, it's really cool of you to do that. Thank you. I think all of my friends think I'm nuts and they kind of ask me, uh, why do I do it? But kids love to be hands-on you can guide it and then it creates a love for them. And for career day recently, they asked what their parents did and I'm a stay at home mom, but my daughter told her teacher that I'm a chef. And I think it's because she's in the kitchen with me, um, all cooking from a, a cooking tower that my brother built for her so she can reach the counter at a better level. Um, but it's really fun to have them involved. You have to be relaxed about it though. No, that's awesome. And then, you know, Christy had asked you earlier, did you create the recipe? You know, how did you come up with this? And there's that old adage, nothing is new under the sun. And especially when it comes in the kitchen, there's mountains upon volumes of cookbooks and recipes already documented. When it comes to a recipe, is your style to look for inspiration, to look for guidance, to look for suggestions, or do you focus on a base that you already might have intact and then build upon that base, which is what it sounds like you did 
with the tuna? Um, that's a great question. And I think that what makes me feel like I have the right or the ability to help other people um, cook is that I do come up with new recipes. But there are times where I say, hey, I want to make this, but I have questions about it. And I'll Google recipes. And I struggle with is this authentic if you're looking at other people's how-to and pulling from them? But then I always go back to, it's 2020, has anything not been done? But I do really thrive. I live for those moments where I do think of something that hasn't been done before. And those are my most exciting recipes whenever I can think of something innovative. Oh, yeah. If you looked up a recipe for chocolate chip cookie, you'd see 4 million different variants. And I've always been a big proponent of, you know, my wife says my mantra is modify everything that, you know, I have no problem taking a devised creation and then changing it to suit my needs and uh, you cook with what you've got, you know, what's in the cabinet. So it didn't matter what was necessarily in the book. You got as close as you could with what you had and steered the ship along. And then along the way, you might've accidentally found some, some tips, some tricks, some ways to make things better. So I don't think there's anything wrong with uh, using a recipe or uh, directions off the internet. If it's a building project or, or anything of the sort, as long as you're brave enough to maybe put your own spin on it um, or your own style. So, you know, Caitlin, we brought you in into, we had two recipes we wanted to talk about. Um, we talked about the tuna here, but we also had a um, tostada. It's a fresh shrimp ceviche tostada that you had on your blog page. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? And I, I would also like you to expand on, you know, I'm, I'm sensing a theme here in, in fish, fish, shrimp. Uh, it's a better, very Mediterranean or Gulf Coast or, you know, so I'm, I'd like to hear why fish and seafood has such a strong influence on the recipes you tend to feature? So where I grew up, Morgan City, Louisiana, is an oil-filled town. Um, they have the Shrimp and Petroleum Festival. Shrimp is a big uh, driver there, income producer. And whenever I moved to Mexico, um, this the city was also a big Gulf city. It was called Ciudad del Carmen. Um, they'd call it the Pearl of the Gulf. And ironically, it was directly as the uh, crow flies south of Morgan City and almost a replica. They had pelicans just like Morgan City. They had shrimp just like Morgan City. They were on the water, a lot of the same oil field companies. And so we would go to the market on Saturdays and Sundays where you could buy fresh seafood. And um, we would buy shrimp, stone crabs, all these great fish. Um, and so I was really inspired by cooking with those ingredients. But the um, shrimp ceviche tostada specifically was inspired by our trips to the beach. We'd get these cups of shrimp ceviche. Now in Mexico, um, things can't always be um, cooked to the same standards that in the US for health, safety, bacteria, things like that. And so you had to be cautious, but we'd always get the shrimp ceviche tostada. So whenever I went to make it in the US, I was again a little bit, you know, ceviche making at home, people could be eerie of, is my ingredient high enough quality that I'm not going to get sick is the first thing you think about with raw ceviche. So for this recipe, um, we boil the shrimp. We just blanch it for a second and it gives you all the peace of mind to dive into the freshness of it. It's not boiled, it's just barely blanched hot, just enough to kill the bacteria. But I initially did it for a summer barbecue and you're eating outside, it's hot in Louisiana, it's hot in Texas. 
I don't know about Virginia or Missouri, but I'm sure in the summer it has to be. <laughs> and um, in Mexico, it definitely was. And so all of my recipes, I like to have the different flavor profiles. So the shrimp ceviche tostada has the sweetness from the mango, the brine from the shrimp, the crunch from the tostada, the acid from the lime, and, what, and the herbaceousness from the cilantro. And whenever you put it all together, it is the perfect bite. Like I challenge y'all to try it because it's so good. And then we put the sriracha mayo on it and that adds the creaminess otherwise and it's just a party in your mouth and so I the fish I'm inspired by cooking because I've lived on the Gulf no matter which country both sides um, but this recipe specifically was inspired by our trips to the beach and the the little bowls of shrimp ceviche that we would get served with tortilla chips man if that's not a storybook you know explanation right there i really liked it and as soon as you started talking you you first said that morgan city and ciudad del carmen were mirror images are very similar but there's obviously things that were you know grossly different um and specifically sticking in the culinary field was there anything else maybe from the fish market or something from a restaurant that you came across that was just wildly different but you were brave enough to try it and uh, really left an impression on you so the market was crazy. Um, everything was served whole because they would use every part of the fish or the animal. So you could buy a pig's head in the market. If you bought a fish, you got the whole fish because you might make a stock with its bones. You might fry the skins. You know, you were going to use every piece of it. And that's just how they cook down there. And I think that um, it, if you go back in history, that's how people cooked um, back in the day, whenever you had to forage your own food. And so, um, you know, I was brave enough to try a lot of things, cow's tongue, uh, things that maybe I wouldn't have normally cooked, but they want to use the whole animal. And uh, that was very inspiring. What that about actually, you, Missouri girl? You um, you ever have any cow's tongue when you're cutting yes. up them steaks? Actually, yeah. Uh, when we would butcher, whether it's beef or a hog, we would use a, a lot of it and not everything everything um but yeah cow's tongue is is tough it, I, I was not a big fan of it um but especially with butchering hogs you use a lot of everything i won't go into a lot of the details just because it might turn some stomachs but you know i i do enjoy a good variety of food. I've, I've heard that uh, hogs cheeks are one of the best cuts on a hog yes yeah, but i've never uh, you ever tried that well, we had it with, uh, when we would make blood sausage or uh, head sausage, liver sausage, that kind of thing. I, I really do enjoy uh, blood sausage. Not so much liver sausage. I'm not a big liver fan. Um, but, you know, if it's, if it's made correctly, it, it's, it can be really flavorful. Uh, Kate, I wanted to ask you, what, if you had any pro tips uh, uh, for choosing a good avocado when you're in the store, because to me, that is like one of the hardest things to do. And I was I was I looking it. at your tostada. I'm like, God, that's like the perfect avocado. Of course, your whole feed looks like Pinterest. So like I'm scrolling through your feed and I'm like, I'm just so hungry, even though I just ate dinner. That is the sweetest compliment. So I love that you asked that because I'm kind of a freak about picking out my avocado and I want the world to know how to pick out an avocado. You grab it and you squeeze it. 
and you don't want your fingers to go through it, but you want it to have a little bit of give. And if it has a little bit of give, it's going to cut perfectly thin. If it has barely any give, but not much, you can buy it and keep it on the counter a few days and then it'll be perfect. The other hint is the little knot on the top where the stem came off. If you pick it off, if it's, um, if it's green, it's not ripe enough, but if it's brown, it's ready to go. But I go by the feel. I squeeze it, and it, you want it to be a little bit soft, and that means it's ready to go. That's awesome. Thank you for the tip. I will put that into good use. Please try it. Let me know how it goes. Caitlin, we were talking about those beef cheeks. I think it's barbacoa. Was that a popular dish down when you were in Mexico? Um, no, not where I had it. Um, where we lived, there was a lot of water and you'd actually see the cows in water, standing up to their bellies in water. And so the beef there did not taste great. It wasn't what I was used to, I should say. And so we actually uh, strive to get USDA beef in a restaurant. That's, that's pretty interesting. I wouldn't have thought that at all. So, you know, I noticed when you posted the, the tuna that it was a Valentine's theme kind of post. Um, I was just wondering, you know, what do, do you have any things in queues, maybe a, a recipe for a future holiday or a future event, or just things that you've got in mind that are going to come up soon that maybe we should keep an eye out for? Yeah, I'm going to uh, start working on some dishes for Easter Sunday, because that's a big time that families get together. Um, at least down south, you know, on Good Friday, you would have a seafood dish. And then on Easter Sunday, you do a ham and, you know, maybe some... Um, some potato salad. I recently made a crawfish boil inspired potato salad. And I know that that's very specific to the South, but instead of mustard, I traded it out for a, a mayonnaise ketchup mix with some uh, crab boil. And it was phenomenal. It was so good. And so I would like to share some, some Easter recipes soon. And so when you do something like that, are you going to do, I mean, you're obviously not going to post the whole spread, do, are you going to kind of roll out a few recipes in a row? And then do you try to do those uh, chronologically based on the meal? Start with the appetizers, in with the desserts? So definitely wouldn't post it all at once. So my audience is um, a lot of people that are intimidated by cooking, and I want them to be inspired to try it. And so I'll probably start easy, maybe a side dish. Maybe they're going to a potluck dinner and they're going to bring something that they want it to be easy and simple, not a lot of ingredients, but they want to still uh, be a crowd pleaser. And then we'll work our way up to, to the ham or doing something bigger like that on your own. Um, another thing that I'm working on right now is the chaffle. I don't know if y'all have heard of it. It's a cheese waffle and it's TikTok, you know, gone viral. Um, it's for people that are doing keto or low carb. They want it, they use their waffle maker to fry cheese, sometimes with egg and they make all these different recipes. Well, everything I looked at, nothing had an Italian twist on it. Well, uh, in, in New Orleans, we eat the muffalata sandwich. It has olive uh, salad on it, and then like salami and provolone cheese. And so the next, the big secret, I'm giving y'all the scoop first, is I'm going to make uh, a muffalata inspired chaffle, and I think it's gonna be amazing. I appreciate the fact that um, even like you had mentioned the ham, a lot of people think, well, it's a ham. You just stick in the oven. But I know like even my sisters, they'll text me and they'll be like, Christy, how long do I bake this ham? And, and even though we all grew up with mom doing all of these things and she did a fantastic job, still does a fantastic job. 
but simple things, what might seem simple to one person is you don't know what you don't know. So I do appreciate um, even things like how long do you bake a ham and what do you need to do to prepare that to actually bake? As much as I cook, I've never been in charge of Thanksgiving or Christmas or Easter because mom is always there. And at some point we have to step up and say, you relax, let me take care of it. But that's very intimidating if you don't know what you're doing. I, if we can, I'd like to touch back on that, the chaffle, because that was as soon as I saw it on your page, I was like, what is going on when you're putting it into the waffle maker? And then I, I just instantly was like, I think I have to have a taco made out of that with the shit, like just cheese yeah. on cheese on cheese. Yeah. And I was like, I, I think she can make the most killer keto nachos, like just chop it up. And so that's a, I can't wait to see you make that. So then I can. Have you ever had the cheese on a pan? Like you cook a pizza and some spills over or nachos and some spills over and everybody's eating and you have the tray and you know, you need to put it in the sink, but instead you kind of take the spatula and scrape off that little fried piece of cheese. And it's the best thing yeah. ever. No one knows what I'm talking about. Oh, right. I know. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm That's with you. For sure. That's what the topple is. It is fried cheese. And someone was just really indulgent and said, I'm going to make a meal out of this. It's great. Yep. So it's awesome. Yeah. That's when we have that. We cook a lot on the pizza stone and everything. I'm like purposefully taking the cheese all the, I'm like, go past the crust. Like my wife's like, you're getting it everywhere. I'm like, don't worry about it. I'll handle the cheese. Not an accident. (laughs) Now I see that it's like super popular and uh, I keep seeing it on all the, they're calling it Detroit style pizza. And they're like, Oh, the key is it bakes in a, a pan and then you get the cheese all the way to the outside. So it gets that. It's basically making a truffle crust, right? And yes. uh, so low right. carb. Yeah. <laughs> it's all that matters. Low carb on that little sliver, and then I'm gonna <laughs> eat all the dough of the pizza, right? <laughs> yeah, look. Man oh man. Well, Caitlin, uh, we really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing some of your passions with cooking. And why don't you take a second and tell everybody where they can find you on your social platforms? Uh, Thank y'all for having me. It's been really fun chatting with y'all. I love following each of your Instagram pages. Um, You can find me at kates.cosina on Instagram um, or katescosina.com on on the internet. And that's K-A-T-E-S, right? Kates with an S. K-A-T-E-S-C-O-C-I-N-A.com. All right, everybody. That's Caitlin from Kates Cosina. Thank you so much. Now that the guest is gone, I thought it might be a good idea for us to just go around the room and talk to one another about why you make or what makes you a maker and why you decided to do this podcast. If you know, Episode one is probably a good time to discuss those things, and then we'll see where the conversation goes from there. Christy, you want to go first? So as far as why I make, I started with that barn table, side table, hall table, whatever you want to call it, and I really enjoyed making things with my hands because I'm an accountant by day. I don't physically do anything with my hands and it's a very rewarding um, experience and it helps me keep my mind off of thinking about my work because my work is very um, consuming (laughs) and um, it's just a great release. It's a great escape. It's totally separate from anything I would normally do on a day-to-day basis. Why do I make? That's a crazy question. 
I think it's a combination of a bunch of things. And like anything, nothing's black and white. It's not a, I make because I'm good at it, or I make because I make money at it, or anything like that. It's a combination of stuff. Um, I enjoy it. Uh, I am proficient at it. Uh, I bought all the tools already, so might as well do something with them. I really think it's just a combination of a lot of things that all come down to I'm not satisfied sitting on the couch. Could I sit there and watch movies all day? Absolutely. But I know that that's not the best version of me. And I know that that version of me becomes apathetic in everything that I do. I don't care as much about work. I definitely am not exercising. The best version of me is keeping my mind busy, always trying to troubleshoot, solve problems, think of the next process. And it's frustrating at times because right now I can barely walk from my desk to the bathroom. There's so much wood on the floor because I milled a bunch of wood down and I haven't put it on the shelf yet. And you sit there and go not enough hours in the day to do everything that you want to do. But then I feel very fortunate that I have that problem, that my problem is I have so much to do. There's not enough hours in the day instead of I'm sitting on the couch watching the clock tick, tick, tick. And so I, I really think that the reason I'm, I make and I, and I want to be a part of this is it just comes down to I know this is the best version of myself, the one that stays busy, the one that stays occupied, and the one that has a goal to work towards. Because as long as I have those things going on, I'm not you know, wallowing in pity or, or focusing on, on the negative. I, I always can move past things to the next project, and, and that's probably why I make. So I, I kind of agree with Dean that the reason that I make is to make myself better. Um, mine is more that I would like, to, I'm, I'm just really interested in learning. I don't think sitting on the couch watching TV, you learn as much. Um, and so I, I want to learn as many disciplines as possible, which is why I make <laughs> so many different style projects. It's, it's just keeps, it's the only thing that keeps my interest. So I, I never would have thought in high school that, wanting to learn would be my thing because I was trying to get out of high school as fast as possible to go surf. It just turns out that I wanted to learn. I just wanted to learn stuff that they weren't teaching me in school. That's basically the reason I make. And then I went full-time into surfboards and that kind of pulled me into woodworking. I, I kind of came into the back door of woodworking by building wood surfboards. And then from there, I've developed a love for making everything myself and I wanted to be able to make literally anything which led me into the metalwork because once you have a lathe and a mill it's pretty much you can make whatever you want it, it, there's no limit the limit is like is it cheaper to buy it than, than and how many hours it's going to take me to make it right so that's what I found so interesting and that's what keeps me going and I buy new tools all the time just to learn them and then move on to the next one that's why I make the podcast really came about in uh, the Mosey's group. It was more of a joke, kind of an ongoing joke as far as what kind of goofy topic we could come up with. And then I think enough people kind of pushed us in a good way. And then I think Austin said, fine, next Tuesday, we're going to talk about it. And I'm like, okay, I'm there. And then we really were thinking the other person was joking. And then we, you know, had that conversation and the idea of, having a podcast based on projects really came about because there's a lot of projects that I see the process of and they start it and I'm like, I don't see where this is going at all. 
And that's what I want to find out in conversation with these makers. How did they get from point A to Z? Because I was lost in the weeds in my mind, but they like had a, they had a path and they went there in a hurry. And so as, as far as the podcast, the specific format, it has a lot to do with being able to find out what makes makers tick. Yeah, I like the idea of mine is more of a selfish thing that I want, I want them to tell me how they did it so I could duplicate it, right? I want to know how you do something so that I can take it for myself, put my own spin on it and come up with something else cool. The side benefit would be, you know, getting to know more members of the community. Um, Cause I tend to kind of just ride in my own lane and do my own thing. I think it'd be cool to kind of meet those people, talk to them about their projects, what made them make those projects and things like that. I realized that I am not the kind of person that can carry a podcast. So that's why I was like, Hey Dean, you should join us so I can sit back and ride your coattails. I know you're saying that it's kind of a um, transition for me to speak, but my whole thing was I did Makers Figuring It Out with Jacob. So enjoyed my time with Jacob, and I didn't understand why they even asked me. You know, I had probably had 350 followers on Instagram at the time. I hadn't really made anything in a while that I posted because of the COVID stuff, and I didn't want my work to think that I was building all day instead of working from home. So it kind of caught me off guard that they asked, but I had such a great time doing it. And then I realized nobody else was going to ask me. I mean, no, I wasn't going to be on another podcast because I'm not a big fish. And I've brought this up several times when we've talked to other podcast people, you know, do you really feel like you need to have the big fish to have a good show? Is there not, are there not interesting people out there that just haven't cultivated a social media presence? And I truly believe there, there are. And so I said, well, I know one way that I can be on a podcast again. And I didn't know if y'all were serious or not. And so I messaged Austin and just said, look, if, if y'all are serious and it gets to where it's a time commitment problem or you're having trouble with editing or you just need somebody that can fill in every now and then, you know, keep me in mind. I, I'm always willing. I thought it was going to be more of a, you know, occasional thing. And then he wrote back, well, hey, you know, I don't think we want to really talk much. Do you want to come and talk? And I've always been good at talking. So I thought it would be a good fit. I'm glad you mentioned something to Austin because it, I think you are a great fit here, but I wouldn't have thought to ask because I wouldn't have asked anybody else because of the fear of the pressure on myself. Cause I don't want to let, I mean, I guess maybe I'm like, eh, I don't mind letting Austin down cause he's Austin, <laughs> but I didn't want to add a third person because that's extra, you know, extra stress responsibility. But you know, I think, I think we got a good, I think we got a good mix here. You know, it's funny when we started the Mozzie thing, there's, we went through the list the other day, there's 50 something people in it. And even though I've never met him, I don't know why I was just drawn to Austin. Like I felt, I felt like a, we're about the same age. We kind of have the same sense of humor. We're interested in the same things. We're multidisciplinary. I mean, I don't post as many pictures, but I do some welding. I have a metal lathe. I, I like to do other things, you know, Dealing with dead trees is not the lane I stay in. And, um, you know, I kind of felt that about Austin as well. And so, I don't know, we always had a kind of a connection. And I'll be honest, you know, if I was saying, hey, who, let's ask some people to start a podcast. I don't know that I would have asked you or, or really anybody just, but more of, we all met during COVID online. 
you know, I don't know what button, right. you know, I might push the wrong button and, and ruin a friendship or, you know, get myself kicked out of the discord group or, you know, I, I don't know. It's a scary, scary thing. The, the unknown of people's personalities. And especially when the discord is really a lot of text and you can't really convey personality fully across text. I write things all the time and I know they're not mean, but I'm like, God, I could see how somebody would read that and get upset. Um, but luckily the, the ones that I'm worried about, I, every time I've reached back out, nobody's ever been upset. So, um, I don't know if any of that was necessary for this segment. I'm just saying, don't feel bad or, or don't worry about it. I mean, I think that the most important takeaway is that you both wanted me and I'm here. <laughs> so you're welcome. That's unbelievably true. And, you know, the one scary part of it is majority of your content in the Discord is not safe for work. So I was yeah. a little hesitant. I need something <laughs> my mom can listen to, but um, I think I can just keep it edited. Well, and I think the important part here is the fact that, no, Austin, it wasn't that I just had to have you. It's like you were that bad rash on the back of my leg that I just couldn't get rid of. So I just accepted you. <sighs> for who you are and figured we could see what we could, you know, make happen here in this podcast. Well, it feels realm. good to be accepted. I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge podcast fan. My introduction into um, making was in large part because of the making it podcast, which I realize a lot of people that we know that's their introductor introduction to, you know, Jimmy Duresta and the, and the making it podcast. I binge listened once I bought this house in May of 2018. I binge listened that entire summer while I was, you know, doing stuff around the house here to the entire whatever number hundreds of episodes at that time. And then and then going to Jimmy's to one of the classes and then Maker Camp 2019. That the podcast is was the anchor for the whole thing. So I don't know if, if I, if underneath, I feel like there's a need for me to, you know, come full circle in the podcast world, but it was a big part. It's funny you say that Christy, cause I, I obviously listen to some of the making podcasts that our friends do, but I really listen to other kind of podcasts. I mean, I think anybody who listens to podcasts is listening to serial or, you know, the storytelling type, the murder mystery type. I listen to a lot of comedy podcasts and there is so many out there and so much content. Do you, you know, am I naive enough to think that there's an audience that has an hour left in their schedule to listen to us? Um, I don't know, but I did, I do feel like there's something we can bring that's different because we are all a little different. And uh, I told Austin from the beginning, I mean, obviously I'm only doing this. So I get scooped up by a more talented group. Um, you know, this is kind of my demo for transition to that next level podcast. But, um, you know, I'm not always, I'm not going to say like half full kind of guy, but I'm, I'm not always like, why not? You know, why not me? Why not me? Right. And you know how exactly. many wins I've had why in life? Cause track. I just had the guts to say, why not me? What are they doing yeah. that I can't do? Right. You had one today. With the instructables. instructables. <laughs> it's the best placing instructable I've done. And it was kind of like, you know, why not? You know, we, we just got done talking exactly. to my sister who's a food blogger or, you know, she has um, Kate's Casina 
and I entered the cookie competition because I was like, why not? It's not like anybody's got to eat them, you know? I just have to take some pictures. Why not? I, I felt like I, I had a shot. You know, how do you, how do you celebrate those little wins or how do you record those little wins? Because we all have little things that we've done, little cooking competitions or, you know, maybe it was a softball game or a fancy football league. And so over life, you know, when you were a kid, you got the trophy that you put on the, you know, on your bookshelf or whatever. Or if you run a marathon, you get the medal and, and with the little race thing on it. So how do you, you know, you win an instructable. Do you print that out and frame it and put it on the wall? Do I, you know, keep a list somewhere and maybe I can eventually make my own kind of trophies? And, I can tell you what I do. Yeah, well, let's I, hear it. I get a Chick-fil-A and celebrate with my trophy wife. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's funny you say that, Dean. Um, I was, it was a really proud moment when my daughter, uh, who's in college now, when I was on my first interview on a podcast and when I had done different things, my daughter told me, she said, Mom, you need to start writing this down. I'm like, what do you mean writing this down? She goes, Mom, this is really cool stuff. You going on your trips, you making certain things, you being interviewed on a podcast. She's like, you need to start writing that down. And I'm telling you what, from a parent's perspective, to have your have your adult daughter tell you give you that like validation or that encouragement, that's a you know that's a huge deal. And that's so, it. You know, I don't know if scrapbooking's the answer. And we all have phones, so oh, well, you put it on Facebook or you put it on your Instagram. Well, let me tell you, this isn't the same as a stamp post. You know, this isn't the same as a look at my dog laying in the grass post. This is a this is a win. It needs to be memorialized in some fashion. And so, yeah, I don't know if it's just maybe I'll start printing up. You know, you see the guys with like the Guinness records and it's just little frames. Maybe I'll just start doing like some three by fives with some factoids about what happened and eventually just have a wall full of all these, these things. I mean, we've had some big ones. One of the biggest ones that I was the most proud of had nothing to do with any skill. But uh, Kristen and I went to the Houston, well, we went to the the dog show, you know, the, the big dog show. It wasn't Westminster, but one of these big dog shows in Houston. And there's all these vendors out there selling all this stuff. And there's a chicken finger raising canes. It's like a franchise based out of Baton Rouge where we went yeah. to school, but they're all over the country now. So raising canes had a booth and they had this wheel and you'd spin the wheel and you'd win a koozie or you'd win a shirt maybe or, or something like that. And there was this one real slim box with a question mark on it. And so I spin and I win a koozie and then I walk away and then Kristen goes and she spins and she lands on this little question mark. And they go, oh, congratulations, you just won free Raisin Canes for a year. And they gave her this metal gift card and a little metal box. And you could go to any Chick-fil-A, I mean, I'm sorry, any uh, Raisin Canes <laughs> and get a, get a free whatever you wanted for a year. And I started dying laughing because they thought they had just given away this card to a you know 110-pound lady. But no, they had given that card to her 220-pound husband. And he used the hell out of that uh, Raising Cane's card for sure. They knew me by the end of the year at the drive-thru. Austin, you've got any Pinewood Derby wins or what you got over there? Um, no, no, <laughs> nothing. Nothing that I could think of off the top of my head. We've got some surfing stuff, but it, uh, I, was, I was happy to win the Instructables today. Uh, that was pretty cool. I. I wasn't sure if I was going to – and by win, I mean I made it to the finals, not, Look, not actually winning it. That was a hard category. There were like 200 entries or something. 356, I think. 356. So they had 19 prizes out of category? 356. For, it was first-time author, so you could do whatever you wanted. 
Yeah. So I did the Leather Mall. And what's that is a fantastic project. I mean, you do great projects, blah, blah, blah. Wait, let me tell you tell what. Tell me more. I really, <laughs> that's why I said blah, 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 because I know you want to hear that way too much. Um, that leather mall, you know, I'm a huge fan of that one because it's functional and it looks fantastic. Yeah, I was, I, that's one of my favorite projects I've done here lately, for sure. Just, and then turning the leather was is cool. I couldn't believe that it worked. That was the main, like, I was, I was like, oh, this is going to be terrible to try. What was, what glue did you use between your leathers? I used leather? just tight bond too. And uh, I, I tested barge compound cement. I, I tested epoxy. Mm-hmm. And then I tested the tight bond too uh, on like three sample glue ups. And all of them performed great. The one thing, the epoxy was super hard in between the layers. So it was a, it, yeah. it didn't shape as well um, on the lathe where the other ones shaped pretty well on the lathe. So that's why, and just for the lack of fumes and the, the how easy it was, that's why I went with tight bond. So the handle doesn't actually have to like hold together very much because it's actually squeezed between two washers and nuts, you know? So it, it, it needs just enough to stick together. It didn't really need maximum holding but it seemed to work pretty good. It, it went through a lot of glue because the leather was sucking it up as it was, you know, I used way more than I expected. Yeah. Marvin had tried, um, well, he did make a stacked leather uh, pen. He turned, I think he tried epoxy or I'm not sure exactly what he used, but he didn't have very good luck with it, but I'm pretty sure he didn't try it with um, Tybon. And that's what we use too. I mean, I've got, all the variations of type on um, for all my regular. You know what I was worried about with the epoxy without just like dousing it in epoxy. I was worried because I was using very thick veg tan that it was going to suck, kind of suck in and, and basically make a weak bond. Um, That's the problem you have with surfboards. Like if when you're glassing a board and that the epoxy takes too long, it'll actually drain out of the fiberglass down into the foam. And it gives you a really weak board. So that I was thinking the whole time, I'm like, this leather is going to suck this up before it has time to cure. And it's going to just be a dry joint, you know, um, without without using massive amounts of epoxy. So that's why I just went. The tight bun seemed to work great. And it uh, and it was fast. I could start I could start working with it. Like, I think it was the three-hour work, three-hour clamp time or something like that. So it's yeah, quick. It's real quick. Thank you for joining us today. If you want to reach out to us, send us a message on Instagram at Making Our Way Podcast. You can find all of our latest individual content on Instagram and YouTube. I'm at High Caliber Craftsman. Christy is at Twisted Twine Woodworking. And Dean can be found at Dean underscore Duplantis. Until next time, have a good one.